Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cinema Soft Underbelly. I am your host, Eugene Weaver, and if you're listening, then you know this show is all about gems in the rough, little scene movies, horror movies, science fiction, fantasy, all those obscurities, not meant, maybe not obscurities, but movies that um, I'm trying to bring to the forefront or even sometimes lost gems or movies that should be rediscovered. And actually today there is one that uh, I'm going to be talking about that I feel should be rediscovered. So last week I talked about some, uh, some good old hammer horror movies and uh, I am going to be talking about a couple older movies today. Again, not quite that old, but still uh, a bit older. Um, and one I actually decided to revisit after, uh, you know, it's been long enough that I don't even remember the last time I saw the movie. Uh, but I, I have a vague recollection of really not liking it the last time. And um, rewatching it, uh, this time... Uh, I watched it with, uh, with a different mindset, and I actually came away quite enjoying this movie. And that is A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. And I have a feeling that I, I mean, I've done so many of these episodes now, I forget what I've talked about and what I haven't. Uh, so if I went through the Nightmare on Elm Street series already, then I'm sorry, but we're going to be talking about Freddy's Revenge again. Uh, but this time it's going to be in a different light. So... Uh, Here's the thing with uh, this movie. First off, I watched it on Blu-ray. I have the Blu-ray box set, and uh, the transfers are really, really good on these movies, and that right away helps elevate a movie, in my opinion, from something that uh, is so-so to, oh, that wasn't bad. And I, I've noticed that uh, different movies I've watched in high definition, and I recall the the previous time that I watched it was either on DVD or worse VHS and I didn't much care for it but a rewatch in a remastered high def transfer sometimes can very much add to uh, the cinematic quality of a movie and make it make it better and honestly uh, Freddy's Revenge is one of those movies I remember watching this numerous times I've seen all the Freddy movies so many times but I do remember uh, mainly watching it on VHS and the movie is very dark and I'm not talking about the tone of the movie, which the tone of the movie is dark as well, but the color palette of the movie, everything just is very, even though it's a mid-80s movie, it's still dark, like, uh, which, you know, a lot of horror movies should be. But I remember watching it on VHS. It was sometimes hard to even make out Freddy Krueger's features. And uh, the the big, one of the big scenes in the movie is uh, you've got the body, I've got the brains, and, and uh Freddie rips his the top of his skin off of his head, and there's his brain. And for years, uh, it was a cool scene, but uh, watching it on VHS, you're not quite sure what you're seeing uh, because it's so dark. But on the Blu-ray, you can definitely see those special effects. Now, on the flip side, um, what high definition does is also uh, shines a light on sometimes some glaring. Uh, some glaringly bad special effects or just dated special effects. I don't want to say bad because uh, Freddy's Revenge actually has some really good practical effects in it, but cleaned up to the point that this movie is, you can start to really see the the flaws in it. There's a big scene where Freddy actually uh, pops through a human body 
and it is it is the centerpiece of the movie, and it is really good, and it still holds up as a gory set piece. But watching it on Blu-ray, it uh, you can just tell that it's you know prosthetics and and rubber and all that stuff. And but I will say this: I will take that any day over the CGI junk that uh, that we get anymore. So having said that, uh, that's just kind of the intro to, uh, Freddy's revenge. This is the second movie. Obviously this is the second movie that, that came out in the series. And this is the second movie that I actually saw, uh, in the series. I actually went this series. Uh, now that I think about it, I believe that this series, I went in order from one all the way up through the re the reboot, whatever. Um, so uh, even for Friday the 13th, that wasn't the case. I, uh, I just was able to watch those when, whenever one would be available. It didn't matter what part it was. But for some reason, the Nightmare on Elm Street series, I was able to watch the first one first and uh, at a friend's house. And then the next time I got to, like a year later, the, the next one came out. And it's a, this is obviously a couple of years after the theatrical releases. Uh, and then we were able to get part two and so on and so on and so on. And then three, four, five. So um, I think that was really cool. In fact, the, the only... The first one that I saw in the theater was uh, Freddy's Dead, the uh, the one with the the hokey 3D towards the end, and it was uh, of course when I saw it in the theater, I thought it was great. And now looking back, that is uh, easily easily the worst one in the series uh, by a long shot, and that includes the remake, which I've actually come around on a little bit. It's not quite as bad as I remember it being. Um, Anyway, let's focus on Freddy's Revenge because this is the one that I just watched. And I w- I'm actually planning on watching the first one again. I've uh, This first one's the best. I've seen it more times than most, than most horror movies, honestly. Um, but this one here has its own, uh, its own quirky, unique feel. And this is almost like Halloween 3 Season of the Witch to this series. It, like, after this one, parts 3, 4, and 5 all seem to fit together really well. And then uh, after that, then it just, it turned not good. Uh, but even like Freddy's, uh, Freddy's Dead, that 3D one, it it felt like it was just a worse version of what you had seen before. But this part two was, is very much its own unique deal. Um, so I'm going to give uh, just, a little bit of information on the movie here. Uh, teenage boy is haunted in his dreams by Freddy Krueger, who is out to possess him to continue his murdering in the real world. And there is so many, and I'm not sure if it's plot holes. I don't know. The movie is, uh, is only 87 minutes long, 86, 87 minutes. And it should have been longer, honestly, because there are some really good ideas here that don't quite fit because uh, it, it, it's like okay, well, I see where you're going with this, but you're not you're not really going for it, and so it just feels it feels kind of like a plot hole, uh, and, and you know that's that's okay uh, for for what it is, it still works. But I mean, Freddy is literally able to come in and out of the dream world, um, so the rules set forth in the first one don't really apply to this one, and then going forward after this, like from part three on, the rules are kind of set back in motion. But here. It's it's I dig that that Freddy is able to kind of do what he wants and he wants uh, Jesse. That's the this kid's name. He wants Jesse to kill for him. And 
I kind of get what's going on, but it's like uh, there's several times where Freddy is actually able to come into the real world. So why would you need this uh, this Jesse teenager to do your bidding for you? Um, and there's these dogs with human faces in it, and it's just weird. But it's good. I like it. It it works. Uh, I think I liked it this time. This re- most recently watched time. I think I liked it better this time than any other time before. And um, and another reason is due to uh, due to the subtext of this movie, and that is that uh, this is a very uh, um, oh boy, how should I how should I say this? Um, it's a very a homoerotic movie. And, um, and it's actually, uh, the screenwriter, David, uh, Chaskin, he actually recently admitted that the subtext, subtext of this, of, a sexually frustrated teenager that, you know, is he gay? Is he not? He doesn't really like the girl that's interested in him, but he sure likes to hang out with his, uh, jock dude buddy. Um, but it was intentionally written into the script in order to give the characters and the story more depth. And it totally works. It totally works. That's one of the best parts of this movie, actually, is knowing that is when you watch it, uh, you can so pick it out that this guy is, he's gay. And um, we're never explicitly told that, but, you know, he ends up in a gay bar and his gym teacher is into gay S&M stuff and... He doesn't want to be around this girl that likes him, but you know, like I said, he wants to be. He wants to go over to his his buddies and spend the night, and so there's just a lot of of that stuff going on. And I, honestly, when I watched it the first time, I was in my teens, and I never, never, never picked that up. Um, but the more you watch it, and especially when you actually know that yes, it was it was written in there uh, that that it fits, and I think that's that's cool for a mid '80s mainstream horror movie to to go there. Uh, so I think that was really good. A couple notes here. Uh, Wes Craven refused to work on this film because he never wanted or intended the original Nightmare on Elm Street to become an ongoing franchise. And he even wanted the first film to have a happy ending, which, thank God, that did not happen because I love, love that ending of the original Nightmare on Elm Street. It's so good. One of the best parts of that movie. And um, he also... Uh, didn't like the idea of Freddy manipulating the main character into committing murders. But again, that's what sets this movie apart is it's very different from the other ones in that um, it's just this weird nightmare logic of Freddy can do his own bidding, yet he still wants this sexually frustrated kid to also take part in this. And um, um, anyway, um, this is the only Nightmare on Elm Street movie that has a male as the lead character, and I actually really like him. Uh, screams like a girl a couple times, which is uh, is really funny. Um, but the whole that whole homoerotic subtext, the director didn't even know about it when he was filming it, and it's just funny watching the movie. And when you you know when you do know about it, it's like oh man, how could you not tell? It's like there's a lot of a lot of dudes doing dude stuff in the movie, and it's like, what? Um, Brad Pitt, John Stamos, and Christian Slater were all auditioned for the role of Jesse, and how would that have been if Brad Pitt would have played uh, that role? I, I mean, I'm seriously, I, I seriously wonder, like, 
would Brad Pitt be where he is today? I mean, I know that Kevin Bacon was in the original Friday the 13th, but it just seems like uh, a lot of the characters in these movies, I, I hate to say this, but it just it feels like they don't, you know, Brad Pitt is one of the biggest stars in the world, and I wonder if he would have still been that. Now, I grant Matthew McConaughey was in one of the Texas Chainsaw Massacres. I believe it was part one, two, three, four, I believe. The really, really bad one. Um, and look at him. So it can, obviously it can be done, but it's still um, uh, it's just interesting. I'm very curious what would have happened. And um, oh, and, and Michael J. Fox was also considered for the role, but he didn't have time to do that because of Back to the Future and Teen Wolf, both in '85. And obviously, uh, those two movies are what really had Michael J. Fox. Uh, explode as a an A-list actor. Uh, so again, like what would have happened had Michael J. Fox done Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two instead of Back to the Future? Um, yeah, think about that. That's just crazy. Um, so anyway, Robert Shea, uh, producer at uh, New Line Cinema, he has a cameo. Let's see if you can pick him out. Um, if you know what he looks like, just keep your eye out for him. I'm not going to tell you where he's what scene he's in in this movie but uh he's in there uh so anyway this is the only film in the series where freddy does not kill any victims in their sleep at all only in the real world and again that's what makes the movies just different it's it's the rules don't apply to this movie uh at all freddy terrorizes a pool party um and uh, it doesn't make sense that he's being able to – he pops out of a swimming pool and there he is and it's, it broke the rules. And um, so it just doesn't make any sense. So – but I liked it. Uh, so anyway, there's a bunch of other, uh, other notes in this movie. Um, Kim Myers, who is the, the teenager that's after Jesse that once – that wants him, but he doesn't really want her. She, and this is funny. Um, she was cast in the movie based on her resemblance of Meryl's to Meryl Streep. And she does look like Meryl Streep so much. Um, so anyway, that's cool. Uh, this is the, uh, last film in the original nightmare franchise in which Freddie's house is the focal point of Freddie's terror. And the rest of the series, Freddie's terror revolves generally around Elm street and the town of Springwood with the house occasionally making an appearance. And then in the hybrid film, Freddy vs. Jason, uh, there was a reference to the film that Laurie lived in uh, Freddy's house, but the reference was cut from the theatrical release, but appears in the deleted scene section on the uh, Blu-ray. So there you go. Uh, anyway, it's a good movie. I liked it. And um, give it another chance. If you didn't like it, um, first time, try it again, but with a different viewpoint on the, the whole nightmare logic that things don't necessarily have to make sense. And the whole homoerotic uh, overtones in it, it was very well received in Europe as, uh, as Europeans are a little bit more sexually open than here in the United States. And so it, it was a bigger movie over there, although it did really, really good um, here in the States. It actually grossed, uh, I believe, $30 million on a $2 million budget, something like that. And um, that's, that's really good, especially considering the fact that uh, this movie uh, in, in the mid '80s, uh, that's inexpensive to make, and that's that's a good box office uh, haul there. So, uh, anyway, um, a couple other notes here before I move on. Uh, let's see here. 
Um, th- there's a dance scene in the movie. Jesse does a dance scene that's just terrible, and obviously, it's it, you can just tell immediately it's it's based on the Tom Cruise risky business dance scene. Doesn't work nearly as well. Uh, let's just say that it's uh, it's painful to watch, but it's funny. So anyway, um, okay, that's going to be it for Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. Give it a watch again. I liked it, uh, but. If you at all can, watch it even on Netflix streaming. I believe that part that part two is on Netflix. Check it out on Netflix or pick up the Blu-ray. The Blu-ray is is dirt cheap for the entire set. And with that, uh, my only gripes with that entire Blu-ray box set is part four is the R-rated version. And come on, at this point, any Blu-ray that is released uh, needs to have, if there is an uncut version, you you really should be releasing the uncut version as an option. And that would include Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, did I say part four? I meant part five, uh, the, uh, the Dream Child. VHS version has the extended version, which has some uh, extra gore, and it definitely helps the movie. It gives it a more hard-edged tone. And the DVD and the Blu-ray, unfortunately, do not have the unrated version on there. But it's like, come on, really? Um, so I think that's a big uh, oversight. But otherwise, it's a great. Other than that, and then just the not good Freddy's uh, Freddy's Dead movie, which uh, you know what I haven't even given that one a rewatch on Blu-ray, and I've had this set for a little while. Uh, but ah man, that was bad. I remember it's everything like the things that made some of the Nightmare on Elm Street's good, like the the comical '80s humor and the you know. The one-liners, they're in this, but they none of them work. I think Freddy's on a broom at one point, like a witch. He's playing a handheld video game thing, like he, death by video game. Um, ugh, man, not good. And then the 3D in the end was just lame. So anyway, yeah, that's Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, moving on. Um, so I'm going to talk now a little bit about, um, another, now this one here is, um, is one that I was hoping for the best, but man, what a letdown. Um, and this one here, I, maybe I'll give it another, sh- another shot. In fact, I liked it so much when I was a kid, I bought the Blu-ray. I haven't seen this thing since VHS, since like we bought a VHS player back when they came out or shortly after they came out, and this is one of the first movies that I watched on that format, and uh, I haven't seen it since, and I should have known, I should have known it was going to suck. Uh, but back then, when I was, you know, I was uh, probably 12 years old when I saw this movie, uh, and, well, I'm 41 now, and let me tell you, time has not been good for this movie, and that is 1985, Barry Gordon's The Last Dragon, rooted PG-13. Why, I don't know. Um, In New York City, a young man searches for the master to obtain the final level of martial arts mastery, known as the glow. Along the way, he must fight an evil martial arts expert and rescue a beautiful singer, which is beautiful, I don't know about that, from an obsessed music producer, promoter, or whatever. Uh, I have such fond memories of this movie as a kid, as a you know, young teen, uh, the styles were just hip back then and the music was cool and the, the Kung Fu and there's some, the, the, the final fight has, has what, like what I just said there, the glow there. So there's this 
cheesy special effect when they're punching each other or their lights flash or whatever, and it was awesome back then, and not so much now. And, hey, I am the biggest uh, defender of 80s movies. I, that's my, that, those, that's my, my decade right there is the 80s. I love the 80s. And I am so forgiving of the 80s. But for every Lost Boys that is just uber cool and holds up so well, there is something like this that is just painful to get through. Um, now, it doesn't help that you know I'm way, way more forgiving of horror movies from the 80s than I am of something like this. Because this one here, um, Kung Fu, I like Kung Fu. I, I Actually, I like it a lot. Uh, but... Uh, Give me Shaw Brothers Kung Fu or Jet Li or Bruce Lee or not 80s cheese. This, oh man, this was bad. Um, DeBarge was in this and if you are a child of the 80s, you'll know who DeBarge is. It's just a one-hit wonder band and I'm like, oh, I remember that song. In fact, that may have been one of the best parts of the movie because I kind of liked that song back in the day. But, uh, the, the kid's name is Leroy, and he loves Bruce Lee, and he does his kung fu, and he's got a kung fu class. And like I read off there in the synopsis, there's a um, there's a bad guy who wants to be king, or well, I don't know. I mean, I literally i I watched this movie a couple days ago, maybe two three days ago, and it's hard for me to think of all of the plot points in the movie now. There's this the the lead. Uh, his name's Leroy. His he's got a younger, obnoxious little bratty brother that follows him around, and um, oh, and Vanity is in this. Her name is Vanity. That's that's her name, is Vanity, and uh, she was in Action Jackson and Fifty Two Pickup, um, yeah, and of course the Last Dragon. So. The two leads in this movie, they only have one name listed on IMDb, and the other one is uh, Tamak, I guess. Uh, um, anyway, yeah. So there's a bad guy with uh, foot, wears football gear, kind of, and has a huge long-haired afro, maybe. I ugh. And then the producer guy is... It sucks. This movie sucks. In fact, talking about it is starting to piss me off because it's not good. And I wasted an hour and 50 minutes of my life rewatching this thinking, yeah, I'm going to relive the 80s again because this is going to kick butt. Yeah, no, no, it, it, it doesn't. It's, it's terrible. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting upset now. It's, this movie sucked. Um, the, the Blu-ray was 10 bucks, and I got a voodoo code for it, so I own the digital copy too. Um, having said that, I'm going to probably sell this movie or trade it in because I will never watch this movie again as long as... Well, no. Oh, no I might watch it again. Um, okay, so anyway, that's The Last Dragon. It was not good, and uh, that's all I've got to say about that. Um, anyway, I've got a little bit more time. You know, I've talked, I've talked and talked and talked about Halloween 3 Season of the Witch uh, on this show on Movie Freaks. I'm not going to spend much time on it, but I just wanted to make mention of it again. It's almost Halloween. If you're listening to this show and you want a good uh, recommendation for an older movie set over Halloween that's not John Carpenter's original, which, hey, we it, us horror fans, we love the original John Carpenter's Halloween. It's a classic. I think that it is 
it's a bit dated, obviously. Uh, the, the jump scares and the scares in general aren't as effective because it's been done to death, but it's still moody, atmospheric, well-made. Uh, the pacing is good. Everything about it is everything about it works. Um, but Halloween three season of the witch. And then I will also say Halloween two, uh, a continuation of the first one. I actually enjoy Halloween two more than the original Halloween, just because it's everything that Halloween one was, but more of it. So there's more violence in the movie. Uh, there's more jump scares. There's, uh, I even like the soundtrack a little bit better because it has a little bit of an early eighties vibe to it. I love it. So, Halloween 2 is fantastic. Halloween 3 Season of the Witch is my favorite movie of Halloween. And I'm not just talking about the franchise, but for this season, it's Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. And I know that way back when I started my podcast, I, uh, I did an episode about the, uh, the uh, unpopular Halloween sequels. And I talked uh, in depth about Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, as well as Rob Zombie's theatrical version of Halloween 2. And I just rewatched that one, and I stand behind that one as well. But Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, especially the Blu-ray, is so good and so ahead of its time with Stonehenge and robots and just bizarro uh, ideas and a downbeat ending. And I love it. I love that movie. Tom Atkins is in it. Uh, the setting is so Halloween. It just feels like that time of year, and it works so incredibly well. The score, what's great about the score for Halloween 3 is that it's similar to the Michael Myers Halloweens, kind of, but they've made it their own. So it has that John Carpenter feel, but it's its own thing, versus the other Michael Myers ones, other than the Rob Zombies, that follow a very, very similar uh, beat. So Halloween three season, the witch is, is to me the best movie in that franchise. And I know that that's unpopular. I know that it's like, what? Come on. Halloween is Michael Myers. Halloween to me is season of the witch. Um, and then right on the heels of that is zombies, Halloween two and the first two Halloween movies. Things start to go downhill fast with part four. It's still good. Uh, and part five was painful and uh, then we, when we get into uh, Curse of Michael Myers, I will say this. I just watched the producer's cut on Blu-ray uh, again. Um, the first time on Blu-ray, but this second time I've watched it, maybe third. I, these movies, even if they're bad, you still rewatch them. But I hated Curse of Michael Myers' producer's cut. That was uh, the – I actually think that that would be the worst one of the entire Halloween series. I would probably pick the Busta Rhymes Halloween over this one. Uh, but I I loathe Curse of Michael Myers producer's cut. That whole cult thing um, and the stones and the anticlimactic stupid ending, I hated everything about it. I understand completely why uh, the producers took the movie away and recut it to make it a generic slasher movie that's really not that terribly good to begin with, but it's at least somewhat entertaining. They threw a couple extra gore scenes into it uh, because this one here is pretty dry when uh, the bloodletting department and it doesn't you know a good horror movie doesn't need gore as proof with the original halloween but uh, at that point that was really the only thing that these movies had going for them um thankfully halloween h2o got things back on track i really like that movie uh in fact i would almost go so far as to say that is kind of a uh, uh a gem in the rough right there because it really shifted tones from that silly cult thing 
back into Michael Myers, the big brutish killer after his sister. And it worked. And then, of course, came Resurrection, which just kiboshed the whole thing. And then Rob Zombie uh, made Hillbilly Halloween, um, which I do enjoy. So anyway, that's going to do it for this episode. This is the last episode before Halloween, so happy Halloween. Watch Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Uh, Definitely, definitely check out Rob Zombie's theatrical version only of Halloween 2. It's so, so good. Um, And uh, give Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 a watch. It's on Netflix, so check it out. Or, like I said, buy the Blu-ray. Support Blu-ray, support physical media, support horror movies, uh, because they're so great. Anyway, that's going to do it for me. Make sure that you tune in to our friends over at Cinema Sidekicks. They're going to be recording another episode here soon. And my buddy Steve's heading up my way this uh, Halloween. And we're going to be doing a doubleheader of probably Trick or Treat and Evil Dead Remake. And so I'll probably be talking a little bit about those movies on the next podcast. Although uh, I've talked about them before on my podcast. But at this point, with almost 100 episodes... I'm going to be revisiting some of this stuff, uh, and especially because I'm curious as to what his thoughts are going to be on the movies. Um, They're great movies, especially right around Halloween. And then, of course, Movie Freaks. going to be doing a taping on Movie Freaks tomorrow night, so stay tuned for a new episode of Movie Freaks that is going to be very, very horror-specific. So if you are, and obviously you are into horror movies, or you wouldn't be listening to me, make sure that you check out Movie Freaks for... um, all of our horror movie watching because there's tons of stuff that I've been watching that I have not been talking about on this show because I'm saving it for the Freaks podcast. So anyway, that's it for me today. Thanks for listening. 